Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Thursday, August 3rd, 2023. Jack Devine is here with us in just a minute. I'm going to ask him how that vaunted Ukrainian army is doing. And is the CIA getting ready for another coup or anti-coup in Niger, in Africa? And if they are involved, is that going to bring American troops? All of that right after this. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Lear Capital. Are you tired of feeling helpless while roller coaster markets and economic uncertainty wreak havoc on your savings? It's time to take control of your financial future and consider investing in gold. Gold has a long history as a safe haven for investors who want to diversify their wealth against economic uncertainty. Unlike paper investments, gold is easy to buy and easy to sell and easy to store and has never been worth zero. You all know that I am a, sp a paid spokesperson for Lear Capital. I know the folks at Lear. I trust the folks at Lear. I do my investing in gold and silver at Lear, and you should do the same. Lear has over 25 years of experience in the business and thousands of five-star reviews and a 24-hour purchase guarantee, risk-free. When I buy gold, I choose Lear. So call my friends at Lear, use the 800 number below, tell them the judge sent you, 800-511-4620. Get your gold and silver wealth protection information, get your investor information, get your questions answered with no pressure and no obligation to purchase. And for a limited time, you might be able to qualify for a $15,000 bonus gold with a qualifying purchase. So call my friends at Lear, 800-511-4620, or do as I do and go on the internet, learjudgenap.com. Jack Devine, welcome back to the uh, program. So Jack, after 500 days uh, of war and 300,000 dead Ukrainian soldiers and 50,000 Ukrainian soldiers who've lost one or more limbs. How are they doing, Jack? Well, the Russians plan to invade, overrun all of Ukraine and set up themselves in Kiev. That never happened. Never happened. So I think they did an outstanding job holding off the Russians. I don't know where you got your 300,050. Right, so I got, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. I got those figures from something called the Institute for Peace and Diplomacy. It sounds like a CIA yeah. front, but it's not. 
Yeah, well, whatever it is, I, I'd like to know how they got that. I don't think the numbers are near that on either side. I well, think. they say they got the numbers from obituaries and from uh, suddenly non-working cell phones. I don't know how accurate I, I that just, is. I just don't accept the numbers. I, I don't accept the numbers. That's all. Well, but, what, what look, victories? It's been a bloody, excuse me. We don't need to talk. I mean, it, what it is, it's been a very bloody war. Okay, what victories, what victories has the Ukraine, what victories has the Ukraine army achieved in the war? Well, they pushed the Russians back. They took back 50%. There have been no Russian gains, right? Have there been anything happening in the past three months that they take? Well, doesn't over? Russia still control the eastern part of Ukraine, the okay. Russian-speaking well, part of the Donbass? They, they took a lot of this back in 2014. I mean, right. So my point is they're holding the Russians are holding, but they were pushed back. I mean, they were. They were in Kiev. They were in the capital. They're not there. They're gone. So the Russians have to look at it as a as a failure in the process. Failure means totally done. We're not done. This game hasn't been played out. I have been saying this is the this is the show that documents what Jack Devine says. This is no. This is my library. I want people to go back and read what I've said about offensives and, and uh, counteroffensive. I've been saying all along. Don't expect a big offensive. It's still not. It's still not done. I'm impressed that the Ukrainians have held off the great Russian army for 500 days, and the Russians have lost more men than they have, and this is what because of the way they're fighting. So I think. Wait a minute. The Russians have lost more men than Ukrainians yes, have. Where, Jack, where is that from? Well, I think from, you know, from doctored know. CIA stuff. <laughs> well, first of all, we don't publish uh, the figures, but I think if you look at uh, the uh, British uh, have a military group that does very good evaluations. I don't have their name at my fingertip. And the numbers have been tracking and generally acceptable to most people. I mean, I think I, I think the Russians have clearly have lost more. No question. I don't know anyone that's saying the other. Um, maybe some of your other guests, but I'm, I'm dubious about it. Right. So in 1994, the population of Ukraine was 52 million. In 2022, it was 33 million. It's now 20 million. Where's it going? Is it a broken country? Well, would you send your family out of the country in a war zone? Of course. Well, okay. If you're over 50. But, they... but is, it a, is it a broken country? It's the lowest fertility rate the in the world. They have, they have, they have no more human beings to put in the military. Oh, that's a, what about the Russians? You want to talk about having trouble? Read everything that's being written in Russia about how hard it is to find troops. They've had to raise their recruitment age from 25 to 30. Where's the big 300,000 army that your guys promised me on this show? Anyway, I, I think there's only one way to look at this. I mean, I mean, if someone's objective. And that is you're looking at something that looks like a standstill at this point. Now, I think there's still more that the Ukrainians can do to push uh, the Russians out. Not entirely out, not this year, but I think there's more that they can push back on. I've been saying all along that I thought our government was doing a good job in getting the weapons there within the reality that I understand about how hard okay. it is. Well, okay. I want to say today that I think the issue of those that were complaining from the day one, and maybe for political reasons, I think there is a shortcoming on our side in getting what's needed there on time. I'm not sure I understand why we don't have in place already what they have. So I'm changing what I've said on this show, I've been satisfied. I've been impressed with what has been done. I'm saying now that the reason, one of the reasons things aren't moving is because the things that they have over and over again said we haven't tried. We have not solved the air 
support problem. Okay, and we haven't solved the long-range uh, counter-missile program. Okay, Th these weapons are in route. Great, oh, great. You know, maybe they're on the high seas, but they're not there when they're they're, they're needed. But there's a lot going in, and I'm not critical. I'm just saying that's what's holding up the offensive, in my view. Tell me if you. But I'm not uh, expecting a major driving the Russians out of. I never did. I think this is a, a fight where both sides say we've had enough. A, a fight to a standstill. Okay. Tell me if you agree, uh, Gary, if you want to get President Biden uh, in Helsinki ready. Uh, tell me if you agree with uh, the commander in chief who says that Russia's already lost the war. The uh, issue of whether or not uh, um, this is going to keep Putin from continuing to fight, the answer is Putin's already lost the war. Putin has a real problem. How does he move from here? What does he do? And so the idea that there's going to be what vehicle is used, he could end the war tomorrow. He could just say, I'm out. But what agreement is ultimately reached depends upon Putin and uh, what he decides to do. But there, there is no possibility of him winning the war in Ukraine. He's already lost that war. Imagine if even if anyway, he's already lost that war. I know uh, you have been candid enough to address the fact that victory has a number of, uh, of different definitions. I respect that and I, and I agree with that. But Putin has lost the war. This is the latest mantra from Joe Biden, from Tony Blinken, from yeah. Lloyd Austin, from Jake Sullivan, from Bill Burns, head of the CIA, from Burns' counterpart at MI6. Question, Jack, do they think that by controlling the narrative, they can control the battlefield. Yeah, I think this, it would not have been the worst I would have chosen. I would tell you the war is not over. <laughs> the war is not over. It's clearly not over. War has, it hasn't been won, hasn't been lost. The war is not over. Uh, anyone that thinks it's over, I think, is using the improper expression for where we stand. But what I said in March of uh, 22 was that Putin has sowed the seeds of his demise. He can't win this one. Now, I agree with the second part. There's no reason, I have no reason to believe that Putin has any remote chance of winning this. That's not the same as having lost the war. The war's not done yet. And why he, is Joe, why is Joe Biden and everybody around him presenting this false and deceptive narrative that Putin has already lost the war, as if it happened in the past? Yeah, I I I I haven't followed the follow on to this. A lot of times presidents make statements and then they're corrected, right? I, I agree that he cannot win the war. I disagree. The war is, he's, he's lost the war because the war, there's fighting going on. You can't say war is over when people are fighting and people are dying. So I think it's, uh, you know, a poor choice of words. I'm criticizing. Okay. When, when, when I'll constant. give you another. I'll give you another example of the president's words, and you can tell me what you think of this. When the president says, when um, Deputy Secretary of State Victoria Nuland says, when the Secretary of State Tony Blinken says, we will continue to aid Ukraine for as long as it takes. For as long as it takes to do what, Jack? They're not going to drive the Russians out of eastern Ukraine. They're not going to recapture. Crimea, they're not going to force Putin from office. So as long as it takes to do what? Well, I think for the Russians to stop fighting and to, you know, 
return back to the pre-invasion uh, uh, lines. I mean, I think that that'd be bare minimum. Here is uh, Mrs. Zelensky, the wife of the uh, president, uh, criticizing the choice of that word for as long as it takes. There's an English translation. Oh, no, there's no English translation. I'm sorry. I'm going to read the uh, translation. It's pretty brief. We keep hearing from our Western partners that they will be with us as long as it takes. Long is not the word we should use. We should use the word faster. Does that help when the president's, when the president's wife criticizes Joe Biden for his choice of words? It wouldn't be something I would recommend as a public relations person, but I would say I'm sticking with we're going to stay as long as it takes to get the job done. Let's and to you, the job done means either either a stalemate or a secession in hostilities. Embedded in as long as it takes means as long as it takes as fast as you can do it. But people have to recognize. There's laws of physics. You can only make certain things happen at certain. Understood. Things. But Jack, if if hostilities stopped today, uh, Zelensky would not be uh, pleased at all. That's correct. Because his his goal is the retention of eastern Ukraine and the recapture of Crimea. So he's not going to voluntarily stop hostilities. Only the laws of physics. He doesn't have any more bullets. He doesn't have any more men. He doesn't have any more army. Whatever the case may be. I'll use your phrase. Only the laws of physics would cause President Zelensky voluntarily to stop. Don't you agree? Oh, I absolutely agree. I mean, he's actually born, and if I'm not mistaken, raised in Dunbas. In other words, it's like, you know, give up Pennsylvania if you're a citizen of Pennsylvania. So I, I think that will be his position. And I think he would lose the next election if he tried to, you know, uh, take another position. Having said that, there's a lot of politics at play. And part of it is also in Russia. And I've been on this since the day, well, I'll be, no one exaggerate, about 10 days after Putin went in, that he's finished. Now, I didn't say how long, but this thing probably isn't going to wind down until we reach a point where he is generally recognized to have failed and to have lost the war, at which time I, I expect him to leave office. Well, you have a lot of road to travel before he leaves office. The last opinion polls showed his approval rating is between 82 and 86 percent. I don't know that we've had an American president in the modern era. That's he is not going to be, he is not going to lose an election. Okay. He's not going to lose an election. He's not going to be driven out uh, by a, a big demonstration. But uh, what I'm saying and have said consistently on this show is that when it's viewed that this is a failure among the people and that they're at a permanent stalemate, but they're losing bodies and, and so forth, that the people that have a stake are bigger than just him. It isn't that he controls everything. And there's, going to, there's a lot of dissent in the military. There's a lot of things coming out now in press, both in Russia and internationally, about dissent within the military. I believe... I believe he will leave the office as 95% of Russian leaders have to walk out the door. Here's uh, his predecessor, if you will. He was president for two terms, and then Medvedev was president for one. Now Putin's in his third consecutive term, his fifth term as president. So here's 
Dmitry Medvedev, who's the vice chair uh, of the uh, National Security Council of Russia. Just imagine that the offensive in tandem with NATO succeeded and ended up with part of our land being taken away. Then we would have to use nuclear weapons by virtue of the stipulations of the Russian presidential decree. There simply wouldn't be any other solution. Our enemies should pray to our fighters that they do not allow the world to go up in nuclear flames. Is this a credible and reasonable threat, Jack? We used to call it saber rattling. Do you remember those days? Saber I do rattling. remember that. Did you come up with that phrase for your masters at the CIA? <laughs> I would. Uh, you're aging me a little more than, than I would like. So, saber. This is you know. It's that's a sign of desperation when you stand up and say, "I'm going to throw a rock at you." I now have come to the view, and I started on this show long ago. Call this guy's bluff. Call. It, I'm not talking about nuclear weapons. He's, I, I'm very impressed with what the Israelis did recently, and I, I, I hope you saw that. They went in and they got picked up their grain and came back, right? They, they called us bluff, flat, flat out, just went in, took the grain and came back. I think every time he's, you know, he, he threatens this, that, and the other, what has he done? You know, we put weapons in and he keeps rattling and babbling and so on. Well, Jack, have we given, have we, have we given, have we given the Ukrainians enough weapons? They have no air force. They have no um, artillery shells. We have no artillery shells to give them. Yeah, but the Russians have, let me finish, Jack. The Russians have destroyed nearly all the HIMARS we've given them. What more can we give them? What more do Mr. and Mrs. Zelensky want from us? Yeah, first of all, they haven't destroyed all of them. Uh, no, we're not down to zero ammunition. I mean, it's really, how, do you, how much do you go into your stores? Um, and so again, I think we've got people that are painting a picture. The Russians are having serious problems on, on this. This is you're in a war. This is what happens. And what and what are the uh, Ukrainians doing? They're building up their own capabilities in country. So the I, I don't see it, it coming to the end. But the question is that I said earlier, they clearly don't have the weapons they need right now. They're in route. Okay, they're promised. Okay, we're going to get them. And then the Russians are going to, the Russians are not making any progress. So even with everything you said, this great Russian army can't make any ground. In other words, they can't do anything. The, the Ukrainians don't have any weapons. They don't have this. They don't have that. But the Russians can't win two more feet of ground. What, what does that say? What does that tell you? So the Russians have uh, three rings of defenses on eastern uh, Ukraine of various military concoctions and various names and various levels of lethality. Okay. The, the Ukrainians have not even approached, much less pierced, the first of those three lines. So where is the originally spring, now summer, maybe fall offensive going, Jack? Yeah, this, this is that poem that I tried to get people to read, The Valley of the Death. You know, you know, you don't march through trenches like they did in the fields of Flanders, right? You just kill soldiers because, you know, we're going to go in there, but we don't have any air support. Well, tell that to President Zelensky, who's promised the offensive. Listen, Jack Devine did not promise a major counteroffensive was going to drive the Russian out. Zelensky did, and so did all the commentators in the United States. And I kept saying, don't get, don't get so forward-leaning. You want to be in a defensive position. The Ukrainians did a great job defending their country and pushing them back. That they're going to push to the border of Russia is a stretch. And I've said it since the beginning. You wear them down so that they lose the war 
And then you, you get a settlement that gets them as far out as you possibly can. Here's a I former think a successful path if we okay. stay the distance. Here's a former CENTCOM commander and former CIA director David Petraeus on the state of the war. What do you think? I think they need to be doing what they actually are now doing, um, having adapted their plan. Of course, no plan survives contact with the enemy. And it was quickly clear that these miles long minefields, anti-personnel, anti-tank minefields, uh, tank ditches, dragon's teeth, trench lines full of Russian soldiers all overwatched by forward observers and drones with artillery on call, that these were going to be very, very difficult to breach given the shortcomings that the Ukrainians have in certain assets that we would have deployed in this kind of situation, in particular massive air power. We would have just carpet bombed the whole uh, area of these minefields, tried to blow up as much as we possibly could, and then very substantial heavily armed, uh, essentially bulldozers, D9 uh, bulldozers that just plow their way through this, supported again by close air support, attack helicopters and the rest. They don't have that. So they've adapted, I think, impressively. So I think there's a, a big point here uh, that I think sure. the audience, I'm going to go on record. I love going on record with them because like, you bring me back time and time so I can you know, remind them that I'm, I'm saying this. I think there's a, a strategy change taking place. It's not well defined to me yet. In other words, I think there's an adjustment because of, of uh, the, the lack of the, needing the weapons right now. I think it's going to change with the arrival of them. But what I'm watching, and this is the is the aggressiveness of now the Ukrainians attacking military uh, depots and so so forth inside Russia. They're taking the fight to Russia. I'm, I'm a little uneasy about this. Now, they've hit other things like banks, which the Russians have hit hospitals. So you get, you get that factor. But they are now, there's, a, there's something going on in the strategy that I want to revisit with you in a couple of weeks. I think there's a different way that this war is going to be fought in the coming year. Part of it will depend on what happens when we get our stuff in place. But I don't think the general is wrong. I wouldn't have used, he was using carpet uh, bombing when we're in there with a full army. And so on. this is not a place for carpet bombing. What he's saying is we would have destroyed the minefields. They don't have the weapons to do it. So why be right. stupid and go across the trench? And they're not that they're losing the battle because they're trying to get across the trenches. They're not going across the trenches. Okay. So I think that's that's where there's a strategy chain. I think they're looking in the south. They the Russians have not taken any territory. The Ukrainians have taken territory in the last couple of months. It isn't what people expected. Here's um, I, I think here's the an Russians NBC, here's an NBC report on just what you have been talking about the use of drones to attack Russian banks. And at the end of the report is an English translation of President uh, Zelensky's uh, comment on it. Take a listen, Jack. The drones exploded in the heart of Moscow's financial district on Sunday morning around 4 a.m. Russian officials say at least three drones were involved and blamed Ukraine. Russians can no longer turn a blind eye to this war now that it's coming home. Although Ukraine didn't take responsibility, President Zelensky gave what seemed to be the most direct admission of cross-border attacks into Russia yet and suggested a new chapter is beginning. Ukraine is getting stronger. Gradually, the war is returning to Russian territory, its symbolic centers and military bases. And this is an inevitable, natural, and absolutely fair process, he said.
Jack, the reporter Richard Engel is a friend of mine, but this almost sounds like a CIA a docudrama. Uh, uh, Aren't these uh, just pinpricks? A bo two two bombs hit the fortieth floor of a bank at four o'clock on a Sunday morning. First of all, if I were invited to advise the Ukrainians, I would say stick to strictly military targets and military installations. I'm not sure the thinking behind that. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that I'm not sure whether the Ukrainians took credit for that. They certainly are doing that. I would say stick to military. But you have to, there's an, an argument to be made. Remember in Vietnam, they had the famous Tet Offensive. And after that, we left. We, they lost the Tet Offensive. Militarily, they, they lost, you know, in terms of people, but our morale broke. And that was, that was the one we left. So I think they're maybe trying to mold and shape the morale inside and say, this is, this is not cost free. Where I think there's a better argument for them to attack is uh, the Russians have done an amazingly brutal thing to the world. It's not going to affect us in the United States. You might pay two cents more for bread, maybe. I kind of doubt it. They're going to starve Africa and the Middle East if they keep that. And they know it, the grain out of there. That is a deliberate attempt to destroy the Ukraine's ability to deliver food. And I, it's a very large percentage. I don't want to be misquoted. That's a, a brutal uh, attack. I believe that the Ukrainians are right in countering and taking a look at their shipping. And their, in other words, that's, that is so bad and so bad for the world. I think it's going to cost, it's already costing him in Africa. I mean, he, he had a conference where about one tenth of the people showed up that showed up last year. There's a lot going on, on in Africa, but I think this grain thing needs to be watched, what they're doing, and they should be ostracized for the Im impact that that's going to have on people. That have right. Let me ask you one or two questions about Africa, and then, and then I'll let you go. Uh, there was a coup in Niger uh, this week. The general who uh, dominated the coup and now claims to be president has indicated he's not going to be selling Niger's most valuable natural resource, which is uranium, to the EU and to the West. Is the CIA going to go in there and overthrow him, just like they overthrew well, if they read my predecessors? Books, they, if they read my books, they would. They would go to the chapters that deal with under what conditions the EU's force and where do you put CIA in. I hope we don't. But that's not, that's not the central point. The central point is... Africa, this had been a several coups. And if you go back to the Cold War again, this is, you know, the Russians are in there. Wagner Group is all over Africa. And now who's running it? But what you have is a struggle in those areas. So what's interesting is the Nigerians and the Chads, uh, uh, the folks in Chad, are trying to find ways to put pressure on Niger. So I, I, think, I think what we're looking at is... And it's amazing in a way that Russia wants to extend its struggle like it did in World War, uh, in uh, the Cold War. I mean, they're a small country compared to the Soviet Union and its international ideology, and yet they have the Wagner Group. So we need to be watching why, uh, Africa more carefully. I think the administration has been beating the drum on this for a while, but this is a country that now has gone from our side to the other side, okay? So... And so we should use force and violence and theft and deception to bring them back to our side, Mr. Cloak and Dagger? I think we need to bring them back on our side. But I, again, I want to come back to my, my, my 
my view on when you use force. I mean, I think you first of all start with economic ties and uh, pressure, and you know, they're a small country. I mean, they ought to be able to make life difficult for them and try and keep the Wagner group out of there. But uh, I don't see a role for covert action at all at this point. I mean, okay. I think that it doesn't fit my limited, I'm a strong advocate of covert action, and I've been a participant and a practitioner of it, but in very selective occasions. I mean, there are a lot of things that were done I would never have agreed to. Jack Devine, always a pleasure, my dear man. You're always consistent. God bless you. <laughs> That's a blessing. It's a blessing. Yeah. And you're looking good. Thank you. Yeah. Morris, we get it. Colonel McGregor, and we'll have some clips of Jack for uh, the Colonel's uh, opinions uh, at one o'clock today, Eastern. Judge Napolitano for judging freedom. <laughs>